Good morning and welcome here. It's good to see all of you here. And uh, I visited with a few of you as you walked in. And that was really good. And I thought, man, it'd be nice if I could visit with everyone. We need, I think we need more occasions for visiting, don't we? We'll have to plan some. Well, welcome to all of you guests and regulars. And I want to open this morning's uh, worship service reading Psalm 84. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. That's us. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the encouragement that, that we are yours and that we are the recipients of your favor because we believe in you and because Christ died for us. Thank you, Father, that our sins are covered. Thank you for eternal life, and thank you for being able to look forward to being in your courts. What a great joy. Father, as we commit ourselves to this hour to hear your word and to sing your praises and to pray to you, uh, we ask, Father, that you would inhabit this hour that you would receive our offerings of praise and be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It was a wonderful week to this week, wasn't it? It's just beautiful. We're going to start with singing uh, song number 180 today. And I know it's considered a bit of an Easter song, and uh, I don't care, because... I enjoy dwelling in the concept that the Lord died for my sins and paid for my price, even though I'm not deserving of it. And uh, we can celebrate his rising from the dead every day. I think that's good. So, uh, song number 180, Thine is the Glory.
next song we'll sing will be number 310, 310, 310. Come thou fount of every blessing. And um, I think it's good to stand and let your blood flow a little bit more. I think God made us to stand. If you can, thank you. Third song, number 576. I know this is often kind of more like a funeral song, but uh, some days, it, many days, it feels like we ought to, just like every day we ought to, uh, turn to the Lord and rest in his peace, rest in his assurance that he will take care of us. And um, a lot of good truths in these songs, eh?
was a really good song to sing. There are lots of people in our congregation who are, who are going through uh, deep experiences right now with their health and with other things. Uh, what, a, what an encouraging song. Thank you for leading us in that. Let's turn for a moment to our announcements. It's a little bit there. Uh, Judy has an announcement. Judy, would you come up and make an announcement? There you are, okay. This is just another reminder about the VBS program that's coming up in our church. It's happening August the 2nd to the 5th. And if you have children or grandchildren who you know would like to come, please make sure you register them this week. Uh, It just gives us a good idea of how many people to expect. And we had a good evening of handing out invitations just in the streets surrounding the church here. So made some connections there, and uh, that was good. Uh, For this coming Wednesday, we'll be having an orientation meeting for all the volunteers. So if you are helping out, please come on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And we want to thank you for praying for us, those who have picked up prayer calendars, and we uh, appreciate that very much and ask that you continue to pray for us, uh, all the volunteers, and of course for the children who will attend. And there are more um, prayer calendars on the table in the foyer if you'd like to take one. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And just uh, so you know, Uh, who that committee is. Would all those committee members please stand, the VBS committee, Judy and Eileen and Val, Dick in the back, and also Anna. Oh, she's not here today. Okay, that's the committee. Uh, Pray for them, uh, doing an important work, getting the word of God into little hearts. So uh, don't forget that. Um, Also a few, uh, oh yes. Uh, Someone suggested that we have the suggestion box back, so uh, it will be back. You can read that little note there. And uh, then to uh, uh, church family praises and concerns, people in the hospital, again, Menno and Nettie Jansen are still there. Jeremiah Lexier, recovering from hip surgery, is still there. Um, Wally Neufeld and Ann Wiens. And then those are people that are in the hospital. And there are, there's a long list of people who, um, whom we don't mention, if, it seems, if they're not in, in the hospital, but people who we've mentioned before who are going through, through deep things. Uh, Tina Fair, uh, P.L. Suderman, Carol Clausen, uh, Jake Unruh, Len Penner, and there are others who have not yet been mentioned. So uh, keep these people in your prayers. And let's do what we can to, to walk with each other through our difficulties. Uh, I know that that happens a lot, and I just want to encourage it to continue to take care of each other. And as, as we already heard the announcement of Helen Falk's 101st birthday, wow, <laughs> that's just a marvelous thing, isn't it? How God keeps us and sustains us and gives us long life a good reflection of what's to come. And then uh, looking at uh, community and other events, um, family camp coming up at Pemina Valley and uh, 1316 Ministries is looking for fridges and freezers and uh, Bible Discovery Tour hosted by Dale Duick um, in Israel. Call him if you want, want to connect. And then look at the bottom of the page. Look at all those years of married bliss. <laughs> and it's a good thing to celebrate in this church when you see those kinds of numbers. So uh, happy anniversary to all those who are celebrating, uh, have and will yet this summer. Such a good thing to see. That's a witness. That is being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and the fragrance of Christ. I'll call the ushers up at this time and uh, we'll then take the offering. Would you please stand?
Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for your church. Thank you that we can belong to it and be part of, a, of this great fellowship of believers around the world who bend the knee to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you have uh, called us to gather and to do this together, to worship you together, to hear the word together, to sing together and pray together, and, and so strengthen our faith. I pray, Father, for those who think that they can do without this, that they would realize they actually need the church. And as was expressed this morning, what a joy it is to be part of a church who cares and who loves. And so we thank you for that. Thank you, Father, also for the great hope of knowing that we will one day be able, we will be in your courts, that your blessing extends to all who believe you and that we uh, will be saved from our sins, saved from earth, saved from um, every evil thing that exists on the earth, and we will enter your courts to be with you forever, and that ultimate justice will prevail. Thank you, Father, for that. Now, Father, as we, uh, as we remember those who suffer among us, we pray that you would grant them peace. We pray that you would grant healing <clears throat> and restoration and that, there, that life could again be restored to, to what it was before the illness or before whatever it was. We also pray, Father, uh, acknowledging that sometimes through illness you take us home. And so we want to acknowledge that you do that too and ask that in, in those cases you would prepare those families for what is ahead. Uh, on one hand, it is hard, and on the other hand, it is glorious. And so we wrestle through those things. Would you walk with us in those? And now, Father, you have blessed us so very richly. Uh, and we want to return to you some of what you've given to us. Would you receive it and use it for the building of your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Who didn't want to hum along with that song? <laughs> that took a bit of restraint on my part. <laughs> you know, one thing I forgot uh, to pray about, uh, the very thing that is coming up and so important in our church here is our VBS. So 
Would you bow with me as, I, as we pray for that ministry and for those who are in it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the VBS committee, for Val and Judy and Eileen and Anna. And I thank you for their work uh, in preparing something, in, uh, their work in, uh, in their own hearts as to what kind of message they are delivering to these children. We pray, Father, for those little ones that will come. Uh, we pray that those hearts will be open to receive the gospel message. And we pray, Father, that that message will take root and grow, and that these will become saved people who will become pillars of strength in the believing community. Father, uh, you know all the challenges that are, lie before them. We pray that you would give them uh, this committee peace and all those who volunteer with them. Give them peace as they serve and joy, and uh, may it truly be a blessing uh, to those children and also to those who serve. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture reading is found in James. We'll be reading the first 12 verses of chapter 4. Out of the NIV, beginning at chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Summertime is a wonderful time. And for most of you, probably your favorite time of the year. It is great. I think when it gets about plus 30, we kind of end up staying indoors a little bit, but that's okay. We still enjoy the weather. And if I have to choose between 30 plus weather or 30 below weather, I would choose the 30 plus weather. Today, my wife is in Saskatchewan. And our daughter and son-in-law, they have bought their, purchased their first house and she is helping them move and, and arrange their house. And we're excited for our children, our son-in-law. He is a youth pastor, and we're so happy that they are serving the, the Lord in Saskatoon. War is a fact of life, and it has been with us since the fall of man in the garden. People, families, businesses, communities, provinces, states, and nations have all been at war. And in spite of the mediators, the negotiators, the treaties, and the world peace organizations, war never seems to end. One fire appears to be put out only to have another one flare up. I'm sure everyone at one time or another has experienced fruit flies in their kitchen. Has it been so? Yes, we've all experienced it at some time. These pesty little gnats are not only a nuisance, but they can be very harmful because they can carry bacteria such as Salmonella, E. coli, and Listia. 
Although they only have a lifespan of 5 to 15 days, a female can lay up to 2,000 eggs. Yes, one of those little fruit flies. Think about that. No wonder they can be so difficult to eradicate. You seem to get rid of one and 10 more seem to appear out of nowhere. In the same way, wars, fights and quarrels and bru are brutal to eliminate if not impossible. And ever since the fall of man, man has not only been at odds with man, but has been odds with, uh, uh, with God. James asks the question, what causes these fights and quarrels? In Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot, his nephew, traveled together with their whole household when a disagreement broke out among the shepherds and they began to quarrel between Lot's shepherds and Abraham's. Abraham was unselfish because there was not enough land for both of them. And Abraham said to Lot, you take what you think is best and I will take the leftovers. And that's exactly what happened. Abraham, or pardon me, Lot chose the lush green valley. But of course, that was the place of Sodom. Wouldn't it be nice if all quarrels were that easy to solve? But that is not usually the way things turn out. It's not. If only one would give up and one would say, well, you take the other and I'll take what is left over. But usually we all want the same thing. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of a mother who was baking pancakes for her two little boys. One was five, one was four. And as she made the pancakes, she was having problems and only one came out right. That meant she had to make more dough or more um, pancake mix and that would take a while. So she said to her two little boys, who would want the pancake? And both of them said, me, I want it, I want it. Well, then, of course, the mother said to the older one who was five years old, she simply said, so what would Jesus do in a situation like this? And her little boy, five years old, said, well, he would give it to the other one. Well, wasn't that nice? And so she quickly said, so what do you think about this? And her five-year-old said to the four-year-old, hey, Jimmy, why don't you be Jesus today? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if everybody else was Jesus and they were nice and kind to us? <laughs> but sometimes God calls us to be Jesus. He calls us to imitate him. He calls us to be like Christ. In Luke chapter 9 verses 46 to 48, the disciples traveled uh, together when the, pardon me, when the disciples were traveling together on the road to Jerusalem, an argument developed amongst them and who was the greatest. They had been with Jesus now for three years, but they had failed to grasp the teachings of being a servant. So he gives them another lesson, which points out that the one who is the greatest is always the servant. The one who is the greatest is always the servant. However, the question is not how could the disciples have misunderstood this, but the question is how can you and I not be able to understand it or we understand it, but we can't live it out amongst ourselves. One day, Paul and Barnabas decided to return to the former towns where they had preached the gospel. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, who later became the author of the gospel of Mark, and he wanted to take him along with them. But since Mark had deserted them at one point in a previous missionary journey, what does Paul say? We are not going to take him along, 
Barnabas wanted to take him along. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they both parted companies and went the opposite direction. The Bible does not tell us who was right or wrong. Perhaps we will never know. However, you will probably choose Paul to be right if you are more strategic and mission-driven. If you are gifted in towards encouragement and compassion, you will likely select Barnabas. We must remember that when none of the other disciples would meet and accept Paul because they feared him, it was Paul who went to the disciples and gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul and introduced Paul to the disciples. And if it wasn't for Barnabas, chances are they would have never gotten together. And now we might also say, well, you know, God just would arrange it another way. No, it's quite possible that Paul could have went and preached the gospel in another area and did that all of his life and proclaimed the gospel that way. But it was Paul, Barnabas, who gave him the right hand of fellowship because he had compassion. The question is, who was right and who was wrong? I have an answer for that. I think they were both right because they both leaned towards their giftings and they both did what was right in what they thought God was calling them to do. There are many other examples in scriptures of arguments, disagreements, fights, and strong words that are spoken. Here are a few more without going into a lot of details. For instance, in Acts chapter 11, verse 14, Acts chapter 15, verses 11 through 14, Paul and Barnabas address the church council at of Jewish believers on how the Gentiles were accepting the gospel. Indeed, this was a shock to many of them because Jewish believers believed that Jesus had come for them and not the whole world. But we find this totally different that when Jesus came, he came for everyone. He came because he loved the world. Paul addresses the church in Galatia on how their fightings would destroy each other. He says in Galatians chapter 5 verses 14 through 15, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. A church can self-destruct. Churches fall apart and cease to exist, not because of external factors or attacks, but because of quarreling and fighting within. Paul says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. James tells us the answer to the dilemma. It is submitting to God. The answer to the dilemma is submitting to God. This morning in part two of how to submit to God, we want to look at the last two points found in James chapter four, and we looked at verses 1 through 12, or 1 through 6 last time. Today, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. So before we go any farther, let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your blessings. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us together as a body. We thank you for each person is here. And help us, Lord, to understand that as we walk with you and as we treat each other the same way that Jesus treated others, and we act like Jesus, that indeed harmony will be within the body. We pray that you would go with us now. Help us to understand what you have for us today. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. How to submit to God. 
Let me quickly review the first two points from the last message. One is by examining our motives before we ask, found in verses 1 through 3. Often we do not examine our motives. The scripture says we ask but do not have because we ask with one wrong motives. And of course, God does not answer our prayers then. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you have on your pleasures. In other words, we ask for things that will please us or how we see things that are fair. And we all have our gauges on what we think is fairness. Isn't that true? We think we know what is fairness. And if you listen to the parable that Jesus spoke about, about the vineyard worker who went out to get people to work in the vineyard, the people, we often think this is not a very fair parable. The vineyard owner went out. He saw people standing around. It was early in the morning, and he said, come and work in my vineyard. They came, and he worked in the vineyard. At noon, he goes out again, and he asks for people to come. They, too, went and worked in the vineyard. Then around 3 o'clock, this happened again, and so forth throughout the door, day. At the end of the day, what did the vineyard owner do? He called everybody in together and then he paid them all the same amount the people who were working at the beginning of the day complained to the owner and said we had the hardest part of the day working in the sun but you paid everyone the same this is not fair and of course the owner said are you just envy because I am a generous person and what is that to you? You agreed to work, and I have decided to pay some more. When we look at fairness, sometimes we do not look at fairness the same way. And God is a generous individual, and he gives how he sees fit. God is fully generous. Of course, when we pray, we see things our way. And we ask God for it. And when God doesn't answer, we think to ourselves, well, why? This is the way I understand fairness. A book was written by Philip Yancey a number years ago. And it was called Scandalous Grace. Scandalous Grace. It was in regards to forgiveness. And grace is scandalous because some people are forgiven and others will not be. Billy Graham was in Toronto many years ago. After one of the Crusades, he met with Pierre Burton. You've heard of Pierre Burton. Of course, he was one of the famous Canadians. He talked with Billy Graham and he talked about forgiveness. And this is what he asked. He said, will a person like Hitler be forgiven after killing millions and millions of people, which he did was responsible for killing of millions of people. And what about the good person who lives here in Canada, has been faithful at his work, been faithful to his wife, but he has never made a decision for Christ. Will he go, for ha go to hell? And a person such as Hitler who has made a decision for Christ, will he he go to heaven and Billy Graham said yes that will be it and Pierre Burton could not accept that how could someone who was so evil and so wicked compared to someone who was so good be sent to hell when there's such an obvious difference and that's what we call scandalous grace it's scandalous because of God's provision that he gives. When we pray, sometimes God does not answer what we, how we see according what is fair, but God has fairness and he is fair all the time. Not according to our standards, 
but according to his standards. So one of the ways we submit to God is before we pray, we question our motives and we ask, what, why are we doing it? The second way how to submit to God is number two that we looked at. The realizing our friendship with the world is, is idolatry. Realizing our, our friendship with the world is idolatry. James opened the second paragraph in this chap chapter with strong words. He says, you adulterous people, you don't know. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? James is not talking about physical adultery of men or women or having a relationship outside of marriage. Instead, he is speaking about the spiritual aspect of committing adultery against God the same way that the Israels ran to foreign gods. Everything about the world is anti-Christ and anti-God. So when we start living by the world standards... Indeed, we become an enemy of God. That is, the powerful, that is powerful language that James is using. These believers were not living in the world or doing wrong things with non-believers. Instead, here is what they were doing. They were claiming to trust God and to do the Lord's will, yet they were still trying to get their will done above the Lord's will. In other words, they were asking for things that they shouldn't be asking for, and they wanted their will done. Their evil desires may look good on the outside, but they are equal to friendship with the world. The message is clear. The way to submit to God is not to be friends with the world and to live with their practices. The way to submit to God is to submit our hearts and our desires to him and let his desires become our desires. Now we come to today's message and on the third way on how to submit to God. Number three, by resisting the devil and getting right with God. Verses seven through 10, by resisting the devil and getting right with God. Verse seven, submit, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In verse 7, the first thing that James tells these believers in his letter who have been scattered across the known world is to submit to God. Submit. Warren Worsby informs us what it means to submit to God when he says, submit to God, verse 7, the word is a military term that means get into proper rank. When a buck private acts like a general, there is going to be trouble. Unconditional surrender is the only way to complete victory. If there is any area of the life kept back from God, there will always be battles. If there's any area of our lives kept back from God, there will always be battles. This explains why uncommitted Christians cannot live with themselves or with other people. When you're not committed fully to God in every area, you'll have strife, and the first place where it'll be is within your life, within my life. The first thing that we have to do is choose to submit to God. Now, James gives us three steps how we can do this. Three steps. First, we are to resist the devil and he will flee from us. We are not to be passive, but rather active in preparing for the onslaught of temptation that is going to be coming our way. And it's not a matter of if it comes our way, it's a matter 
matter of when it's going to come. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he could resist the temptation of the evil one because he knew and quoted scripture. Nothing is more powerful than the word of God for the believer. And when we learn it and when we apply it to our lives, we're able to stand against temptation. For Satan to work, he must have a foothold in a person's life. Remember this, for Satan to work, he must have a foothold in a person's life. That is something that we must not give him. When temptation comes, we must not say, I will only take a look at it or I'll only taste it. We must say no because it is all over once we start. Once we start, it is all over. It's done. We slide and we cannot get out of the trap. When Cheryl and I attended our church soccer, our children's soccer games, we would sit with the rest of the parents on the sidelines and eat sunflower seeds. Oh, I love sunflower seeds. The fellow, the fellow beside me didn't have any, so I offered him some. He said, no, thank you. I will not stop because once I do, I can't quit. And how true that is, because we all sat as parents and we talked about it. I keep eating these things until my tongue is sore and I can't eat anymore. We resist temptation when we know what God tells us is bad for us and when we know that we cannot quit once we start and when we depend on God to say no at the very beginning of temptation. Then all, you see what happens, it, all what Satan needs is to have a foothold and then that slide, as I said, begins. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Last year we purchased a house here. And it was great. And the one, and this was early in the spring, we came out, it was a very windy, windy day. And of course, our um, tiles, our roofing was starting to lift and they were ripping off. I quickly ran up as quickly as I could. I simply got some of my weights out of the basement and I put them everywhere and found whatever else was heavy on there. Then, when the wind calmed down, I went and tarred everything down. It's interesting, it only takes a little bit to get some of them going, and your whole roof can end up leaving when you, when the devil, or pardon me, when the wind gets a hold of it the same way that the devil gets a hold of something in our lives and everything go, we must not give him a foothold or an opportunity. The second way to submit to God is by drawing near to him by confessing our sins and asking for his cleansing. When we are in fellowship with God, we are always confessing our sins to him and asking for his strength to overcome temptation. That's who we come to when we are walking in the world. We come to the Lord and we pray to him. The more times we spend, the more time we spend with God, the more we become like him. Do you realize that? The more time we spend with God, the more we become like him. The way we do this is through reading the Bible and praying. However, often we spend time on the computer television, doing hobby, or being with a friend rather than being with the Lord. If we find that true in our lives, we need to ask the Lord to give us a desire for his word and prayer. Because have you ever wondered why you don't pray more or read more? And we have to ask the Lord, Lord, give me that desire because I don't have it the way that I should. I don't have it the way that Jesus had it when he got up early in the morning all the time 
and he was praying. Give me that desire. Give me a passion to work with you and, or to, to, to communicate with you. And if we do that, God will give us that desire. The third way we draw near to God is by humbling ourselves before him. Verse 10 reads like this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up, James 4, 10. God is opposed to the proud because when we are filled with pride, we become independent from God. When we are filled with pride, we become independent from God. We start doing things our way. We think our way is better. And if God isn't doing something the way we want him to do, we'll go help God out. And that's when we get in trouble. And we know all types of Bible characters who began helping out God, such as Abraham and his wife, Sarah, when Abraham took his wife's advice and said, well, we don't have a son yet. Why don't you go into our maid servant, Hagar? And Abraham did, and grief followed. Isn't that true? We're going to help out God. And in fact, we're doing something that is not right. We must never forget that maturity in the present uh, physical life is the opposite in the spiritual life. You've heard me say this before. When born into the world, one of the goals in life is to grow up and become independent from parents. That's the goal. That's how we know maturity has taken place when a child grows up and they can go on their own and they are by themselves. That is called maturity. The goal in the spiritual life is to become dependent upon Christ. It is the abs- It is the opposite. When we come to know Christ, it's great. We have a good time and we start doing things sometimes the way we think is right. And then we realize this isn't God's way. The more we become dependent upon God, the more we understand that maturity is being dependent upon him. Pride will always make us independent from God. And we must get rid of pride by humbling ourselves before God and realizing we don't have all the answers. We must come to God. Now we come to the last way on how to submit to God. Number four, by not judging others' motives. Verses 11 through 12, by not judging others' motives. Follow along with me as I read verses 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When we judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Close quote. We must remember that this letter, the author, pardon me, we must remember that this letter's author is James, our Lord's brother. He is the pastor of the Jerusalem church, which has now already grew to over uh, almost a hundred, pardon me, almost a hundred thousand people before it was scattered because of persecution. And when the gospel, or pardon me, when the believers were dispersed across the known world, they took the gospel with them. That's, for example, why Paul goes to some places and the gospel has already reached it before Paul got there, because believers had been scattered. Sometimes we equate these early believers with living near-perfect lives or being godly. Don't we think so? Back there, they had the brothers, or they had John, who was the uh, the brother to the Lord, who was instructing them. But on the contrary, they were no different than you and I who need instructions on how to live the Christian life. 
The world always has its professional critics regarding athletes, musicians, actors, governments, or any other type of organizations. But these people who criticize others often never accomplish anything near who they are judging. The more worldly-minded and proud a believer becomes, the more judgmental they become. James gently calls these believers brothers and tells them that they are not to slander one another. Once again, he is addressing the tongue as the issue which he has already addressed for uh, earlier on in the book. Scriptures tell us we need to be discerning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22 says this, Test everything. Hold on to good. Avoid every kind of evil. However, we cannot judge people's motives. Yes, we are called to test everything, but we can't judge our brother's motives. Yes, there is a place to make judgment calls, as when Paul tells the Corinthian church to remove the person who was committing adultery. It was obvious. It was something had to be done. There was a judgment call that needed to be made. But we are never to judge other people's motives. And nonetheless, even judge sometimes people who are trying to serve the Lord and they just maybe aren't doing the best. We like to judge those individuals. Often when we make judgment calls, they are criticisms and they are tearing down of another believer. When we do this, we speak against the law of the scriptures that tell us not to slander others and to do our neighbor no wrong. That's found in Psalm chapter 15, verse 3. Also, according to Jesus, if we speak to someone else about helping others conquer sin in their lives, we must ensure that we have taken the log of our, out of our own eye first. As I draw this to a close, we can say here are two more ways how to submit to God. The first way that we talked about, I mean the first this morning is by resisting the devil and getting right with God. To resist the devil's attack, we must get into the word, pray, and confess our sins to the Lord. We must be always before the Lord, and the Lord will show us things within our lives. Second, we must submit to God by not judging others' motives. We are not here to slander others, but rather to build people up in the faith. My challenge for you this morning and for myself is that we go back and we would read James chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 and ask the Lord how we can start or continue to submit to him in everything in a deeper level. Our last song is not in the hymnal. It is an insert in your green bulletin this morning. I thought, boy, it's a bit of a newer song. It's by Bill Gaither. And then I saw it's copyright in 71. I was eight years not existent yet in 71, which means it's, it was written maybe when you, some of you are my age. Let's sing it together.
The benediction is the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are a privileged people to be able to come into your house, to worship together, to look into your word together. Thank you for friends who love you. And I pray now, Lord, give us strength to live the life that has been set before us according to James. And Lord, help us to realize that with your strength, we can do all things as we reach out with the love of Jesus towards other. Now I pray, Lord, go with us as we go our separate ways. May we go in your grace and peace. For this we pray, amen and you may leave in God's grace and peace.